We turn now to the Word of God, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, But the things that are unseen are eternal. May God bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Let's now join our hearts in prayer for God to illumine his word. Lord, your word says that in your light we will see light. And you have shone as the light out of darkness in the darkness. And so, Lord, shine your, your word once more 
this evening. So that we would see light. That we would walk in your light. That we would be reflectors of your light. Give us ears to hear. Hearts and minds to understand. Wills that are moved with love and affection for you. That we would not only be hearers of the word, but also doers. That we would say with your servant Samuel, speak Lord, for your servants are listening. Grant your spirit, O God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll just reread the words that we'll consider this evening, verses 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Suffering. The word suffering evokes a number of responses and different thoughts. Suffering is part of the Christian life. To one degree or another, every single believer is called to a life of suffering, as Paul describes so clearly in this chapter. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Believers suffer in different ways. Some of us suffer physically. We suffer bodily afflictions. Some of us suffer emotionally. Some of us suffer spiritually. The Christian life is marked by suffering. We do not become Christians to have an easy life. Neither do we sign up for the Christian life to suffer. And yet, we cannot escape the reality that the Christian life is marked by suffering. But the question comes tonight, how do we suffer? The Apostle Paul in this chapter gives us the key to unlock the answer so that we as believers, as Christians, would suffer well. And if we are not a believer tonight, if you are not a believer tonight, that you would come to the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of your suffering, in the hand of of a heavenly Father, that your suffering would lead you to the suffering servant, to Jesus Christ himself, to find life in him, to regain or to gain perspective of the suffering that you're experiencing. The Apostle Paul knew suffering himself. So he's not writing to us tonight as one who stood above suffering. Listen to what he writes. 
He was troubled. He was perplexed. He was persecuted. He was cast down. Later in this very same letter, in chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So here is a man who knew what suffering was. Here was a man who walked in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, after whom we are called to walk as well. So as we face suffering, what will you write in the blank? My suffering is blank. What would you write in that tonight? As we fill in the blank tonight, there's a temptation, isn't there, to become discouraged That our suffering looms large on the horizon of our lives, and that's all that we see. And Paul does not minimize suffering here. He writes about suffering in all its reality, but he writes about suffering in a balanced way. In verses 8 and 9, he says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. How does the apostle maintain that perspective? We learn from the word of God tonight how he keeps that perspective, how we are to keep that perspective as believers as we encounter suffering in the Christian life. Our theme tonight is this, a remedy for discouraged sufferers, a remedy for discouraged sufferings. In the first place, that remedy is found in keeping a corruption to renewal perspective. In the second place, it's by keeping a suffering to glory perspective. And then thirdly, keeping a temporary to eternal perspective. We could say tonight that a believer's suffering is all a matter of perspective. And that statement is not intended to trivialize the suffering that you as the people of God face. We see from Paul's dealing with suffering and human weakness that he deals with it honestly. And he counsels the Corinthians to change their perspective. That's what the Word of God is all about, isn't it? It's about changing our thinking changing the way we think about suffering so that we will not become consumed by our suffering, but that we will be able to see through it, to see God's purposes in it, and ultimately to keep the eternal perspective, to have a balanced, to have a biblical, to have a Christ-centered framework through which to view our suffering. 
And as we read through the epistles to the Corinthians, we we get the sense that the Corinthians denigrated human weakness. They looked down their nose at those who were weak and suffering. And Paul reminds them that as human beings, we are weak. But that we need a gospel-shaped perspective when it comes to suffering. The Corinthians thought that they could just pick themselves up. They pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they continue on. Maybe you know some Christians like that. Some who have encountered very little suffering in their lives. And they say, ah, come on, just pick yourself up and get going. It's really nothing what you're experiencing. We get that perspective from the Corinthians because they wanted super apostles. They wanted spiritual leaders, strong men that did not show any sort of weaknesses. What does Paul write to them? I came to you in weakness. That the gospel might shine forth more clearly and more powerfully. They wanted leaders made in their own image. Leaders who never suffered. Leaders who were never weak. But now Paul comes to them and he, he begins to chip away at their thinking. And he says in verse 7 of our chapter, he says, the power of the gospel is contained in jars of clay. So the focus will, will be on God's power in the midst of human weakness. And that's already working, chipping away at our thinking when it comes to human weakness. We don't always have to be strong. Because it's in the moments of human weakness and suffering that the gospel shines forth with greater clarity, with greater power, with greater help. The very suffering and weakness that we endure is to bring out the life that is in Christ. That's what Paul writes, doesn't he? Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. The resurrection of Jesus provides hope amid suffering and weakness. And tells us that one day believers will also be raised in the fullness of the life that Christ has secured for us in the cross, through the grave, which he now holds for us in its full and final installment in heaven as he sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so it's with this hope that is in Jesus, the hope of the gospel that we are counseled tonight not to lose heart. That's what Paul writes in verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. That little word so there is connecting what Paul is teaching here back to the gospel truths that he's just set down about the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life that is in Christ. It's connecting it back to the grace of God that it's at work so that all things are for us. And so we need to remember that our suffering in this life is shaped by the resurrection of Christ, by the gracious providence of God that makes makes it so that all things are working together for us. What happens in our thinking when we encounter suffering? We only have to think of Naomi in the book of Ruth as she came back to Bethlehem. What did she say there? She suffered intensely in the land of Moab. She lost her 
her husband. She lost her two sons. She's returning to Bethlehem with a a Gentile daughter-in-law. She's lost everything. No hope of a future in Bethlehem. And what did she say? The hand of the Lord has come out against me. God is judging me. Isn't that often our perspective? There's a tendency, a temptation to grow bitter under our suffering. But here the word of God comes to us tonight. So we do not lose heart. We do not give in to discouragement. That's what Paul really is saying here. We do not give in to discouragement. All the suffering that you've experienced can tempt you to lose heart, to become discouraged, to give up. Maybe you've even uttered those words before. I can't go on. I can't handle this anymore. Maybe you're an elderly person struggling with weakness of the body. You're not sure how long you can continue. Maybe you're suffering intensely from emotional weakness, anxiety, temptation from every side, the darts of the devil flying thick and fast, targeting your heart, your faith, tempted to despair. It's all for nothing. So we do not lose heart. We're called back to look to Christ tonight. Maybe you think you have to be strong. You've forgotten that the treasure of the gospel is contained in in jars of clay so that Christ might shine more brightly. Beloved, don't give in to discouragement. There's hope. Just a few Sundays ago, we heard that Christ is risen. The grace of God is at work despite not being able to see it at any given moment. And so Paul comes to us. The word of God comes to us tonight and gives us the first perspective from the words of our text, a corruption to renewal perspective. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What Paul highlights here is the day-to-day experience of a believer in a fallen world where we experience the ravages of sin, we experience evil in general, and the suffering that takes place in the body. He highlights the fact that day by day, every single believer is corrupting. We are wasting away. The outer man is wasting away. Our bodies are slowly but surely wasting away till one day We'll be in the grave and we'll return to dust. We're slowly decaying, each one of us, as we're sitting here, as I'm standing here. We're subject to death. The sentence of death that God pronounced in the garden from the moment that humanity fell in Adam. Dying you shall die. Have you ever thought of it that way? That each one of us tonight is actively dying. We're actively corrupting. We're wasting away. 
Some of us think we have our lives in front of us, and that's true from a human perspective. But this is the reality that we face as creatures. We are, we are subject to death. And that puts our suffering in perspective, in context. Suffering is part of life in a, in a fallen world. There's an unvarnished reality to what Paul is saying here. Our outer man is, is wasting away. There's no sugarcoating it, however hard we might try to do that. However many times a week we go to the gym, no matter what diet plan we're following, no matter how we clothe ourselves, no matter what measures we take, no matter how much insurance we buy into to protect ourselves, the reality is that we are corrupting. We are wasting away. We suffer in the body, physically. COVID, cancer, colds. Flu, broken bones, decaying bones, long-term illness, disability, old age, death. We suffer mentally. Darkness of the mind, struggles with depression, questions, doubts, fears that won't go away. All these things work against us, tempting us to, to give in to discouragement. Or to take up and to employ our own strength to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps like the Corinthians were doing. Maybe the question settled in. Is it worth keeping on amid such opposition? If this is really what life is like, what hope is there? Listen to what Paul says. The outer man is, is wasting away. Our outer self is wasting away. But that's not all that's happening, you see, as we're subject to the sentence of death. Because in Christ, we have life. And there's something else at work. There's another principle at work in us. If we are believers tonight, that tells us that the inner man is being renewed day by day. So even as the outer man is is corrupting and wasting away. There's something else at work in us. The believer's corruption is giving way to renewal. God is preparing us for glory. The outward man may perish, but there is no reason to give in to discouragement tonight. Just as there's this day-to-day -day reality of corruption and wasting away, so there is this day-to-day -day reality of being renewed. And it's not something that we always see. It's not something that's always immediately apparent to us. But the grace of God is at work, sustaining the inner man amid suffering. That's the glorious reality of the saint. So there's this corruption to renewal perspective that we are called to keep. Not just a corruption's perspective, but a corruption to renewal. The inner man is being renewed, the word says. It's not just a sustaining of the inner man by the grace of God, but a progressive renewal, a progressive expansion of the life that, that God has already worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He continues to sustain and to, to build out Isn't this the design of trials that our Heavenly Father brings our way? 
This is confirmed in Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let me put it this way. We can go to the gym four or five times a week, engage in training our bodies so that we can stave off for a little while the corruption of the body. But a believer is also in God's gym, if we can put it that way tonight. Being trained through afflictions to grow spiritual muscle, to be renewed, to be strengthened, to grow in the midst of trials and suffering. And so suffering, we need to remember, does not have the final say in the life of a believer, but signals to us tonight that there's an inner working of God going on through this corruption. At the very same time that our body is breaking down, the inner man, the soul, is being renewed and strengthened and being fit for glory. And the reality of the resurrection of Christ is that Though this body is decaying, though it will one day lie in the grave, that body too will be raised to newness of life, to a glorious body joining the soul in glory. The great day of judgment and resurrection. And so there's this corruption to renewal perspective that's laid out in the words of our text tonight. There will come a day when suffering will end. The renewal will be complete. So don't be tricked, dear saint of the Lord, that there's a bait and switch happening here. That somehow the outward corruption is all there is, and therefore you should give in to discouragement. No. Keep this perspective. The reality is, That the inward man is being renewed day by day as well at the very same time as the outward man is wasting away. This should renew our perspective amid suffering. It should encourage us rather than discourage us. Can you view your life this way? One of corruption and yet at the same time one of renewal, one of life. Something that's preparing us for eternal glory. Scripture calls us tonight, the Lord calls us tonight, not to give in, not to be discouraged, but to have this perspective. If you're not trusting in the Lord tonight, how does that help you make sense of your suffering? The reality is this, that God brings suffering into your life to bring you to himself. He's reminding you that this life is not all there is. There's more to life than pleasure. There's more to life than just living for yourself. God is calling you in the midst of your suffering, if you're an unbeliever tonight, to flee for life to Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can have this perspective. It's the only way that you can have something worth living for. 
something to look beyond, to see beyond this life and the corruption that we experience in the body. So your suffering tonight is God's compassionate and merciful call for you to turn to him. And so we're called to keep a corruption to renewal perspective, not to be discouraged. But Paul also says in verse 17, we are to keep a suffering to glory perspective. He says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's building a contrast here to provide renewed perspective again amid suffering. We read the text and we say, well, Paul is making light of of our suffering. I thought you said he, he doesn't sugarcoat suffering, but here he's saying that our suffering is light, it's momentary. But he's saying here it's, it's momentary in contrast to that which is permanent. It's light in contrast to that which is heavy. But how can Paul say that affliction is light? I can understand the momentary part of it, But the light part of it, I'm not so sure about that. Would that not be minimizing my trials and my sufferings? Is is this really being honest? When the suffering I have experienced has been so heavy. No one really knows how heavy it has been for me. No one knows that I've been slogging away through life in, in loneliness. No one knows the despair that has has been around the edges of my heart for so long. No one knows that I've been sinned against, injustice done against me. Surely that's not a light thing. Losing a child creates a heavy burden of grief and sorrow often carried in loneliness, losing a spouse. That's heavy as well. Each affliction is heavy according to the capacity of the one who carries them. But from God's perspective, they are light and we need to fight in our minds and hearts to to gain this perspective. They are heavy to us. And there is that reality. But here scripture is saying our suffering is light only when considered against the backdrop of what is coming. They become heavy and unbearable when that's all that we see and that's all that we are focusing on. But tonight, Scripture lifts up our perspective, lifts lifts up our eyes so that we see something else. If our perspective is only shaped by what we experience in this life, then indeed our burdens will be heavy, even unbearable. But the hope of the gospel calls us to a different perspective, the other side of the contrast that Paul is building to help us understand how afflictions can be called light in the life of a believer. For our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The key word in that phrase there is preparing. The King James Version, it's working for us. 
So this affliction that we view as heavy from our earthbound perspective is light when it's compared to what is coming. That affliction is working in us. It's working for us. It's preparing something for us. What Paul is actually saying here is there's there's something heavier that's coming. Something that's more weighty in terms of, of value. And so... We learn that when we suffer in this life, we're always making value judgments about what we encounter, what we experience. All those instances that I just spoke about, scenarios of suffering, each one of us will make value judgments about them. The degree of heaviness that they have. And Paul is saying here that there's something weightier coming. Something far more valuable than the suffering that we experience here. And so we can paraphrase what Paul is saying here like this. Don't estimate this present suffering as being worth more than it actually is. Don't overestimate it because there is something that is far more weighty, far more valuable in, that, is, that, is, that is coming. There's an exceeding weight of glory, a weight of glory beyond all comparison. So if we would picture it in terms of a scale, the old-fashioned scale where you, you put one weight in one side of the scale and you put what you're measuring on the other side of the scale. So you put your suffering in one side of the scale. Then you put what is coming in terms of glory in the other side of the scale. How is that scale going to look? Your suffering will be up here and the weight of glory will be way down here. There's something greater that's coming. We're called to lift up our eyes to heaven, to glory. And so we need to understand that suffering is not working against us, it's working for us. Paul uses superlative language here. The contrast is between temporary suffering and eternal glory. The word for glory in the Old Testament has this idea about it as as weightiness, as heaviness. When God's presence filled the temple, there was a a weightiness there, a heaviness, the glory of the Lord, the kavod in Hebrew of the Lord came down. That Hebrew word has this idea of heaviness. That's what Paul has in mind here. This light momentary affliction will give way to a life in the presence of God. That's the reality. And as believers suffer, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That transforms the suffering that we experience, doesn't it? Paul uses the same language in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, we are changed into the same image, into the image of Christ from glory to glory. And so that affliction that you're experiencing, the suffering that you're going through, dear saint, is designed to 
to bring you into the presence of God, into the experience and the reality of glory on the other side of this life. But God is already at work in us, preparing that glory in us and for us in heaven. It will serve to bring us into glory. It confirms our sonship, as Hebrews 12 says. It confirms our our recreation into the image of Christ, where we will see him as he is and be like him, as the Apostle John writes in 1 John 3. This light momentary affliction will give way into the fullness of what God has prepared for us. So suffering is designed by the hand of God, in the hand of God, to make us long for that weightiness, to make us long for that glory. To say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And so this is the perspective we are called to keep. This is part of that remedy for discouraged saints to look beyond the suffering. Not to underestimate it, and not to overestimate it, but to keep it in perspective of what is coming. We all suffer on different levels. But this perspective, this suffering to glory perspective puts loss and pain and grief and sickness and death in perspective. It helps us to push back against discouragement. God is at work. He's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And thirdly, Paul ties it all up in this this last perspective to keep a temporary to eternal perspective. We could say that the Apostle Paul is swimming laps in the same pool. He's stating it in three different ways so that we, we get it in our minds and hearts tonight. So that we will not lose heart, but that we keep this perspective. Corruption to renewal. Light momentary affliction for eternal weight of glory. Temporary to eternal perspective. He writes in verse 18, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Why is suffering so hard sometimes? Because we are sighted people. We see only what's in front of us. We see only what we experience and we filter everything through the lens of of what we experience or what we feel. But Paul says believers are not those who look at the things which are seen. He says, don't look, he's not saying here, don't look at the things which are seen. No, he says, as we look not at the things which are seen. So we're not dwelling on the things that are seen, but the believer is looking beyond the things that we see here in this life. We do see them. But the hope of the gospel gives us a perspective of the things that we see. And so this should be the reflex of our spiritual eyes, as it were. 
We are not those who look and dwell on the things which can be seen, because then we lose perspective, don't we? It's like a child in the dark. Children, you go to your bedroom. You're walking in the pitch dark, no light. You know where the light switch is. But in the moment, you're overcome by the darkness and you, you're afraid. And in your fear, you forget where the light switch is and you can't turn the light switch on because you're afraid. That's like a believer who's suffering and is only looking at the things that are seen. We're overcome by the suffering, we're overcome by the darkness, and we don't see the light. We don't know where the light switch is anymore, as it were. In the words of William Cowper, he captured it well in his hymn when he said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. And he's writing that in the midst of suffering. And so often we look at the weakness, we look at the suffering, we look at the affliction, and that's all that we see. But here it comes down to a matter of identity. We are not those who look at the things that are seen. We don't dwell on them. We are those who are guided by the things which we cannot see. This is counterintuitive for, for us, isn't it? The world lives for the here and now. The unregenerate man lives for what they can see and judges, by, judges God by what they see and experience. And we see too, but we see beyond this world. Paul reminds us that we are to be heavenly minded. Even as we experience a life of suffering in a fallen world. He sums it up in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. This evening, as excruciatingly painful and heavy as your suffering is and can be, the Word of God, the Gospel, describes you as those who are not bound by the things that can be seen, but our eyes are looking ahead to the things which are unseen. Why is this? Why do we have to keep that perspective in the midst of suffering? Because the things which are seen are temporary. They are, tr- they are passing away. Paul says they are, they are transient. They will fade away. Here is hope for the discouraged sufferer tonight. The suffering that you experience, it will fade away. Even if God doesn't remove the suffering now, by looking at the things which are not seen, the permanent things, the eternal things, we can be assured tonight that one day, when we pass from this life of suffering into a life of glory, where the Lamb Himself will feed us and wipe away all our tears, we can be assured that our suffering will one day be over and gone. 
And that's precisely why we are counseled tonight from the Word of God to keep this eternal perspective. So that we see beyond our suffering. So again, Paul is saying, don't put too much stock in the things that are seen. Don't put too much stock in your suffering. Don't value the things that you see and experience now more highly and as more valuable than the unseen things. Because what's coming is lasting and permanent. It's eternal. That means it's timeless. And you try to imagine a world without time. hard for us, isn't it? Things are permanent and they are coming when we see Jesus. All of those things are laid up, stored up for us in Christ. It reminds us, doesn't it, of what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. If you then be risen with Christ, set your mind on those things that are above, not on the things on the earth. things that are above to the eternal permanent things so this is the great hope that a believer has in Christ even as he rose again he will come again and we will see the things that we have not seen yet don't be discouraged don't lose heart don't give in to discouragement don't be tempted to see that your suffering is all that there is to life, that your corruption is all that there is to life. But keep this temporary to eternal perspective. One day, it will be over. We do not minimize suffering, but neither do we overestimate it. But we say this tonight in the hope the life that is in Christ Jesus. Eternity is coming. So what will you do in the midst of your trials and sufferings tonight? What perspective do you have right now? Does it need to be changed tonight? You've been reminded, beloved, of the perspective that believers ought to have. Keep the perspective that the gospel gives us tonight. It lifts our eyes up. Amid our troubles to behold Christ who is coming. The one who died and rose again. The one who, who loves us more than anyone else in the universe, as the Belgic Confession says in Article 26. The one who is coming to take him Take us to himself. We can't see him yet. But we know him by faith. And we know that his resurrection guarantees that we will see him face to face. So in the midst of your trials and troubles with uplifted head, look for Christ. Look to heaven. 
from whence he will appear again for you and deliver you from all your troubles forever. And keep this perspective, a corruption to renewal perspective, a suffering to glory perspective, and a temporary to eternal perspective. You can push back against discouragement. Now you can learn to suffer well even as you keep your eyes fixed on the coming glory and the coming Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for your word tonight. How it reminds us that everything that we see around us is passing away. That's not the end of the story. That which is passing away will give way to eternal glory, the new heavens and the new earth, where Christ will be all in all and will be central to it all. So, Lord, as we've been instructed in your word tonight, we pray for your spirit. Bring home your word with, with power. That our faith will not rest in the words and wisdom of man, but in the very word of God itself that foundation that stands strong and sure in the midst of trials. We pray again for those who are suffering, even intensely, that they would not give in to discouragement. They would not lose heart, but keep this perspective, this threefold perspective as we heard tonight. And Lord, as we Gather tonight, we also gather to give you gifts and offerings that you have given to us. You've been faithful in giving us much. And so, Lord, we return with generous and thankful hearts so that your kingdom would grow and be established. That those who are needy would be sustained and helped by the gifts that we give tonight. And so, Lord, receive them. Use them for your honor and glory. Do you ask all these things now in Jesus' name alone? Amen.